Welcome back to a new episode of the All Things Croatia podcast. I'm your host, Stan Kozovac. Born and raised in Los Angeles, I'm now living in Zagreb and studying the Croatian language. Before we start, just do me a favor and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening, as well as the Facebook and Instagram page. In this series, I'll be talking with people both in the homeland and around the globe who have connections to Croatia. We'll hear from startups, returning diaspora, musicians and athletes, and the biggest Croatian celebrities that will return my calls. But enough about me. Idemo dalje, and let's get started. All right, welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Uh, today we have a special guest, Andrea Pisac. Um, Andrea is a writer and anthropologist from the UK who moved back to Croatia for a greater sense of purpose. Um, she's the author of several famous Croatian cookbooks, as well as novels and other works, and also is the creator of the blog Croatia Honestly, where she writes about food, history, and culture. In this episode, we're going to talk about why she left her old life behind, her passion for blogging and writing, and maybe even learn a Croatian recipe or two. Andrea, thanks for coming on the podcast. Hi, Stanko, and thank you for inviting me, and hello to everyone who is listening. Yes, of course. Glad to have you on. Um, let's start a little bit about yourself and your background. You know, obviously you have Croatian roots, and I know in my intro just now I said that you moved back to Croatia, but I wasn't exactly sure. Were you born Cro in Croatia, went to the UK, and then moved back, or how did that work? Yeah, I think it was it was such a kind of circular uh, movement for me, just like, um, um, I don't even know now, like I always feel like uh, both an insider and an outsider wherever I go. I think this happens to people uh, who are born in one country, then move away, and they have this kind of opportunity to see their own culture from the outside, from a foreigner's perspective. So yes, I was born in Croatia, and one of the most difficult questions for me when people ask me where I'm from in Croatia, I never really know what to say because <laughs> I'm not really emotionally attached to the little town where I was born, but more so to the um, two regions in Croatia where my parents come from. So my mom comes from Međimurje, which is northwest Croatia, this beautif beautiful and hilly green area that's kind of framed with two rivers, the Mura and the Drava. And my father is Dalmatian. So as a child, we always spent uh, our summers in Dalmatia, in Split. And, uh, you know, I have a, a lot of contacts with my family and cousins there. And also I would visit Međimurje a lot. So. Um, and then it all comes down to food and what, you know, what kind of food we ate as kids. So <laughs> this, this is my kind of cultural heritage, you know, that I, that I bring along with me, you know, when, when I think about my Croatian identity. And then I moved, uh, I went to London, to the UK when I was in my 20s. Uh, everything was like really accidental. Um, I studied English and Croatian uh, as my BA degrees and I was always dreaming of going to an English-speaking country and then I started working for the British Council in Zagreb and there was an opportunity to go and, and do an MA in, in the UK and I applied but everything was like, you know, I was never really pushy with everything. I just kind of like filled out the application form and then, you know, the results came back and I was accepted and so it kind of like snowballed from there and um, 
all of a sudden, you know, I had all these academic successes and, you know, I, I was really doing well uh, because the academic world is so different in the UK than in Croatia and I really, really liked it and I fell in love with anthropology and this is um, a discipline that's not very kind of common or very evolved in Croatia. So it was um, a new kind of uh, a discovery for me and then I decided to continue with the PhD and that's how I basically stayed in the UK for 13 years. Hmm. And so and anthropology, you didn't become interested until after you were already in the UK. Yes, exactly. Because like in, in Croatia, we have uh, the discipline that's most similar to the kind of um, Anglo-Saxon anthropology is called ethnology or maybe kind of folklore studies. And uh, in kind of in the Croatian uh, understanding, this is basically when you go out into the villages and you collect all those kind of old artifacts and then you work in a museum and you, you know, it's kind of like it's a little bit retro, let's say. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and in the UK, it was anthropology was all about uh, traveling to kind of distant places and trying to understand something that's unfamiliar to you. So like kind of exposing yourself to a completely different culture, to a different language, uh, to a different way of life, to a different understanding of the world. And this kind of teaches you how to uh, accept all those differences, but it also kind of makes you think about your own identity. And this is how you it kind of mirrors. Uh, it acts as a mirror to your to yourself. You know, you begin to understand yourself a little bit better, your own cultural background. And it's, a, it's always like a two way street. And it, it's really kind of it develops your curiosity a lot. Hmm. Do you think that being in, I mean, going from Croatia to, you know, as big a country as the UK, did that, and then studying anthropology, did that um, increase your sense of identity, thinking like, oh, I come from this small, you know, I know you said you didn't feel a connection to the small village, but, you know, some of these smaller places in Croatia, and now you're in a huge, you know, country, did that give you any sort of, like, different perspective on your identity? Oh, definitely. Like, I think that when you live for um, the entire life, just immersed in one environment, you um, you don't have that kind of, it's very difficult for you to know what your identity is. If someone asks you, you know, what are you like? It's very difficult for you to say that because you don't, ha you don't have that reference point. You don't know how different or similar to what you are. So mm. when you start, uh, everything boils down to comparison. When you start comparing yourself to somebody else, you say, okay, so in London, uh, you know, people are more individualistic and, you know, they don't care what other people think about them. You know, they can wear their pajamas and walk down the street and nobody will, you know, nobody <laughs> will, will even look at them or even kind of gossip about them. But if you do that in Zagreb or even in a smaller town in Croatia, you know, they'll ask you, oh, my God, what will your mom say? What will your aunt say? You know, aren't you, you will cold? embarrass your whole family. <laughs> so, yeah, we kind of like then you realize, OK, people, we are more kind of collective, collectively minded, you know, in Croatia and in the UK, people are more kind of centered, 
um, towards themselves and their own kind of individual uh, ambition and you know, we're more kind of family-based. And then you start to make these comparisons, you know, we are like this, they are like that. And it kind of builds your own sense of who you are. And then, and then when somebody asks you, you know, what is Croatia like or what are we Croatians like, then it gets easier for you to say that. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think I can understand that because for me it was like the opposite. You know, I was from, mm -hmm. born and raised in Los Angeles, a huge city, and I, like, I had that perspective, the big side, to compare it to, you know, the Croatian community that I knew in Los Angeles, but I didn't really have the Croatian side, you know. I went, mm -hmm. what, two summers, and that was it for, you know, a couple of weeks at a time. And so that, that's why I wanted to move to Zagreb, you know, where I'm currently, right now I'm back in LA, but just for um, a few more days here, I'm going back to Zagreb. But for me, it was important to go and you know, be in Croatia and have that sense of, yeah. you know, being there and being able to describe that to people. So I understand from like a reverse sort of point <laughs> as what you're saying. Um, and I wanted to ask you, while you were in London, um, mm -hmm. did you find a Croatian community over there? Did you look for one or was it sort of you wanted to immerse yourself in the, um, you know, London scene? I wasn't really thinking about that. Uh, but what what happened was that when I started my MA, uh, it was a um, college that was called uh, Central and Southeast European Studies. So there was a group of people that, you know, I found like several people from Croatia. Um, and it was enough for me, like I made friends with like four or five people who were from Croatia and we, you know, we spent time together. And then I didn't have that kind of need to go and look for a wider Croatian community uh, but I did find out that there is a much smaller Croatian community than in other English-speaking countries hmm. um, so there wasn't much migration from Croatia to the UK uh, I know that there is one Croatian church in London um, but that's but that's about it I think there is the, there isn't more than like a thousand Croatian people living in London something oh, like wow. that there is a Croatian embassy in London and they um, they kind of act as a cultural center, let's say. They, they host lots of events and um, um, roundtable discussions and, you know, um, so, so when, when you make yourself known to them, you will get on their list and then you'll get, get invited to different events. Well, I wanted to ask you then, it seems like you were enjoying your life in London and, you know, your studies and getting an experience that you weren't able to get, you know, in Croatia. Uh, why did you decide, why did you decide to move back? What was that motivator? Well, again, I think it's, it was just pure chance, really. Uh, when I was living in London uh, and visit, when, whenever I visited Zagreb and the good thing about being in the UK is that, you know, uh, we got like, the flights were quite cheap, so I was able to visit three or four times a year. And whenever I came back to Croatia and my friends asked me if I was ever going to come back, I would always be very determined. Never. I'm never coming back. And <laughs> but you know that <laughs> never say never. And when I finished my PhD, I got a job um, at the college where I uh, graduated and it was a research post. And uh, the topic was 
not something that I chose, but you know, the, it, it was kind of like so far removed from my academic interest. It was about gambling in Europe, and it was something completely mm. new to me because I was more focused on literature and culture. But it was interesting to me because one of the um, one of the the countries that was covered in this whole big European study was Slovenia. So I was thinking, okay, it's a really nice job, and you know, I would spend one year living in Slovenia. That's so close to Croatia. I will be able to visit my friends and spend more time in Zagreb. So I applied and I got the job, and uh, I was positioned in the town called Nova Gorica, which is actually on the border with Italy. And it would take me two hours in the car to go back to Zagreb. So I spent almost every weekend in Zagreb. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, after so many years living in London, I kind of like, I lost touch with the everyday life in Croatia. And I remembered mostly the reasons why I left. So I left because I thought Croatia was corrupted. You know, I was so I was always a very, very hardworking person, always very creative, always kind of coloring outside the lines. And when I graduated from my uh, BA, I, I wasn't able to find a job, you know, through kind of um, mainstream channels because I didn't have any, you know, aunts and uncles in politics. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then, you know, I was kind of, I had like a bitter taste in my mouth, you know, remembering those days. And that's why I never wanted to come back. Because like, compared to Croatia, the UK is such a, you know, meritocratic country. If you work hard and, you know, if you have a vision, you will definitely make it there, you know. Um, but then, you know, the more time I spent in Croatia in that year when I was based in Slovenia, I started noticing like really, really positive things and, you know, how uh, friends and family uh, help each other, how there are certain things that you can't really um, monetize. Like, uh, I think I wrote about that episode on my blog, um, how one day we had a dinner, like 10 friends, you know, sitting around the table and we had such great food and it was a real feast and everything, you know, in the midst of this situation where there were so many people unemployed and, you know, the, the economic situation is horrible and everybody's complaining about how life is difficult. But then I stopped myself in, at one point and I was, you know, looked around and I realized, you know, my God, you know, people are living such comfortable and enjoyable lives despite all these troubles and the only mm. and one of the biggest reasons why this is so is because we are so connected and willing to help each other and this is you know i i realized that this was so powerful and so precious you know this kind of um uh, reliance you know on your close friends and your family you know something that I don't know, it makes you feel safe, you know, you always have that safety network, which is really, really difficult to find um, in, in a world which is more kind of focused on individual ambition and successes. You know, I think that's what the diaspora and a lot of the people that come back to Croatia, you know, feel, that's how they feel about the country as well. I mean, there's so many great things, the community, the sense of belonging, and like, of course, the economy is not the best, the politicians are not the best. But like you can still be happy there, you know? Yeah. 
I think that, you know, when some when people say um, that the happy person is that one who who doesn't need a lot. So I think in the West, people, most people are kind of driven to um, make a lot of money um, and to, to just to accumulate things and to, to have a lot. But in Croatia, you don't have to have a lot to be happy. Like you can be make a very, very nice life with much less than in the West. That's mm-hmm. the point, I think, of of having a great life in Croatia. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I was I wanted to point out, it sounds like your kind of move away from Croatia and your move back to Croatia were both kind of by chance, you know, snowball yeah. effect. <laughs> yes, definitely. So I thought that was funny. <laughs> Um, you know, you had told me before that most of your work, I know you, you mentioned the gambling studies, but nowadays most of your work can be described as cultural tourism and you've actually received three different awards for your work in that field. And I just want to go over two of them. I don't know if I can talk about the third, but not yet because it's not been publicly announced okay. yet. <laughs> I won't talk about that, but believe me, there's three. Um, yeah. And the City of Zagreb Award for the Exceptional Contribution to Promoting Zagreb's Culture and History and the Marco yeah. Polo Award for Travel Writing in Croatia. Yeah. And a third, undisclosed, but okay. there is one. <laughs> and I want to ask you, first of all, what exactly is cultural tourism and how are you involved in that? And then... Um, you know, we can get into the awards a little and how that happened. Uh, so I think that's kind of a, a, the, one of the most recent, let's say, sub-genres or sub-forms of tourism is that uh, this realization that people really travel to experience culture in a different place and to get to know how the local people live and what their traditions are, you know, how they look at the world, you know, because they have maybe different mindsets or, or, or more kind of, in the more kind of material way, the, the kind of the rituals they have, the holidays they celebrate, the, the, the kind of dress they wear, all this is something that is um, a much deeper understanding of the destination it's not only about like walking down the street and seeing buildings and sites and you know eating in a local restaurant so i think that many many uh, destinations like mature tourist destinations realize that they have to provide a much richer experience to people you know who are coming to visit and um, i don't know i found myself in that um in that area because uh because of the two of my loves and one is writing and the what the other one is uh research and more specifically ethnographic research which means basically capturing this kind of um, nitty-gritty of everyday life of something that most people take for granted so for example when i talk to people who visit Croatia for the first time and I ask them, you know, what's so great about Croatia? And they will say, it's just the way you live. It's it's like, you know, it's this kind of uh, ubiquitous coffee drinking and, you know, the the feeling of just spending your days in a relaxed mode and um, always like seeing, you know, that we are capable of, of 
enjoying the sweetness of doing nothing. And, you know, if you think, you know, if you ask yourself, what, what, what is this really? Well, this is our culture. This is our, you know, our way of life. So um, uh, I started writing about that on my blog and it was always an unusual travel blog as, you know, I would, because I was never like, you know, top 10, 10 things to see in Croatia, top five restaurants to eat in. I was always writing about, you know, how, how people live in Croatia. And I started getting lots of positive feedback and people would say to me, oh, I can really understand now, you know, I would say, you know, give Zagreb a chance, you know, don't stay only two days, stay two weeks and you'll, you, you know, it's, it's a slow burn city, you will really get under its skin, you know, if you, if you stay a bit longer. And, you know, they listened to my advice and they were like over the moon, like, you know, you opened a completely different world for me. Hmm. So, so then I started choosing these kind of more cultural topics and, and people really like that. Um, and then the tourist board in Zagreb noticed uh, all my work and they approached me and we started cooperating on different projects. And one of them was the um, a video blog. So it's kind of called vlog. Uh, so I gave it the name Zagreb Shortcuts and I filmed for them for four seasons. So it was like I filmed over four years. Um, like three to five minute episodes uh, about different interesting things culturally, historically, or just, uh, you know, little quirks about Zagreb, you know, what, you know, how you can deepen your experience when you're in Zagreb. And that was really, really popular. And then each year when the city of Zagreb um, gives this award, uh, they need somebody needs to kind of nominate you for that so I got nominated and I think it's all the kind of um, combination of everything that I've done until that point that kind of um, that that got me that award mm -hmm. yeah that's it sounds and like also, a big deal that's really cool yeah, um. yes and uh, to me it was a very very um, proud moment because uh, the ceremony when you receive that award is really really beautiful uh, mm -hmm. you're basically invited into the um, Zagreb um, city council I think you know Zagrebačka Skupština which mm -hmm. is in the upper town and it's in the old historic um, hall which was um, used it, it has been used as a city council for like I think 200 years and in that room it was for the first time that Ivan Kukuljevic spoke Croatian during the time when Croatia was uh, part of the Austro-Hungarian monarchy and when German and Hungarian were official languages oh, so wow. for me as a person who is you know uh, all about Croatian language and literature it made me so proud and it you know it gave me goosebumps when when I was able to receive that award in that place yeah, a lot of history in that building. Yeah. And also a little bit about that travel award, Marco Polo Award. It's also interesting that when people think about travel writing, they always think that you need to leave your home and go to a different country to be able to call your writing travel writing. But on my blog, I actually pushed those boundaries and I was, I was always educating my readers, saying that you can actually explore your home place, your hometown, 
as if it was a different destination because mm. it happens so often that we take for granted everything that surrounds us. And then when somebody comes to visit you, like a friend from far away, then you begin like researching about your own city to be able to kind of like show it to your friends. And then you begin learning about it and see it from, from a different perspective. And then I called it like traveling without moving. And my award for travel writing was for that particular genre. So I was very proud of that too. Wow, that's very interesting. Yeah, I've never really thought about that as a subgenre before, but it makes sense, especially yeah. for me here in LA. Like when I have friends from college, you know, I went out of state, they come to visit and say, you know, what should we do in LA? I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, I, I mean, I don't even know. You know, I have my own little routines and places that I go, but they said, well, let's hike the Hollywood sign. You know, that's popular, right? <laughs> I said, yeah, actually, I've never even been. I've never even seen the Hollywood sign. Still to this day, I haven't. And like, <laughs> yeah, so there's so many things, you know, right around you that like you haven't explored before, you know, you kind of get stuck in your, in your ways and don't really think about branching out in your own, you know, hometown. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very interesting award. Um, I do want to get more into the, the writing. Let's talk about mm -hmm. your blog a little. And I wanted to ask, I forgot. I wanted to ask, um, where can people find your vlog, the video one where you got the city of Zagreb award? Uh, well that can be found on my YouTube channel. So my YouTube channel is just Andrea Pisac. It's not branded like Croatia, honestly. And I post all my vlog episodes there. So there's a, even a playlist called Zagreb Shortcuts. So all the episodes are there. Okay, great. Makes it easy for you. And yeah. I'll post, we'll post the, um, all the links that you would like um, mm -hmm. when this goes up. So people listening will be able to find that. Um, you know, as you're well aware, Andrea, but for those who are listening and don't know or didn't make the connection, your last name, Pisats, means writer. Yes. And um, <laughs> so with that in mind, when did you start your blog, Croatia, honestly? Uh, it was in 2014. So uh, basically, when this academic project finished, you know, the one that was about gambling that took me to Slovenia, I was offered... Um, permanent lectureship in London. So they asked me to come back and to be a lecturer. And um, when you do just when I was a research fellow, I was actually lucky to not to have to go to my office uh, and to my college every day. So my life was kind of like, you know, I was spending most of my time in in Zagreb. And then I would once a month, I would go back to London to have like team meetings and conferences and all that's involved in the academic life. But when they told me that I would have to take a lectureship, that would mean that I would have to teach twice a week. And it would mean that I would have to go back to London. And I turned that down. And all my friends here, they told me that I was completely insane. <laughs> but by that point, I was kind of getting tired of the academic the academia itself because I was just because I always thought that I was more a fiction writer than an academic writer uh, and also I was getting tired of London because it was such a huge city and I think it's an amazing city when you have um, I don't know when you have a mission and my mission was basically mm. to get all my studies done there and but kind of life in such a uh, 
when you think about like settling down, having a family and, you know, having a quieter life, I don't know, a, a city with over 10 million people and so sprawled out like London, where it takes you like two hours on the public trans- transport to get to anywhere. Mm. It just sounded like, oh, no, I can't do that anymore. So that at that point, my life changed drastically because I basically quit my job and I moved countries and then I had to think about what to do next. And and then I just said, OK, so I'm just going to start a blog. <laughs> and I didn't have a clue, <laughs> you know, where, you know, where this would get me, what direction to take. I just knew that Zagreb was changing at that time and it was becoming a tourist destination in its own right. So before, like Zagreb was just, uh, you know, a place where people stopped, you know, before going to the Croatian coast. And I realized that there was a lack of any kind of uh, decent travel writing about Zagreb. So, it, you know, it wasn't properly described apart from those like 10 best or five best kind of more dry kind of writing. And so I wanted to kind of infuse it with the more kind of spicy stories. Um, and this is how I started my blog. It was first called Zagreb, honestly. And I wrote only about Zagreb. And then eventually I kind of branched out to cover the entire Croatia. So, yeah, it's been going on now for, what, um, eight years now. Wow, that sounds a lot. <laughs> <laughs> when you say it out loud. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, on the topic of Zagreb and on this topic in specific, um, what do you think is something that's often overlooked about Zagreb? You know, when people go either tourists or, you know, other people in Croatia that are just, you know, stopping by the main city, what's something that you think can be discovered more or people when they're going on vacation, they should really stop and do? I don't, I, I think it's both a blessing and a curse in the case of Zagreb, because Zagreb is, re, in my mind, like when I compare it to other cities, it's still not a proper or a mature tourist destination because the best things in Zagreb are not, not packaged as a tourist product, let's say. So this is great because Zagreb doesn't feel staged yet. So mm. like if you stay in Zagreb for more than a week, you can discover um, all uh, these different kinds of like green spaces. And if you read a guide, you will get like suggestions like go to Maksimir or go to Sljeme. You know, these are the kind of like most obvious green areas of Zagreb. But for me, I absolutely adore uh, Tushkanac, which is kind of like a semi-wild forest right in the middle of the city. And you only basically have to turn north, northward, you know, from Ilica, from the main Ilica street, and you start winding those, you know, uh, forested trails and you basically mm-hmm. you will feel like you're not in the city anymore uh, but this kind of thing is you know it's not charted anywhere you don't have any kind of guide which you know which will say okay take the green route or take the red route or you know it's not mapped out yet it's all down to you to discover it on your own hmm. yeah I guess like a blessing and a curse like you said you know it's yeah. sort of you might not be able to find it, but when you do and it's kind of on your own, you know, it, it feels like you're just a part of the city and the atmosphere rather than yeah. you're just on some doing some touristic 
um, walk or something, you know. Yeah, and then so so there are some like um, some people who write in Croatia who are like total, um, you know, fans of all this kind of off the beaten path places in Zagreb, and I and I read somewhere that there are so many different varieties of plants, you know, that are kind of. Uh, like medicinal herbs that that grow in Zagreb so it's actually you know we really really have like pockets of complete wilderness right in the city center hmm. yeah I'll have and, to explore that more yeah, not to mention know. that you know there are foxes living in those areas you know the the you know the rich the, the so-called cottage neighborhood that kind of borders the you know the Medvednica mountain I have friends mm. who live there and they tell me that they see foxes there all the time so we have wow. wildlife there as well <laughs> the red ones yes yeah wow it's pretty cool yeah i've always wanted to see you know what i noticed when i first went to zagreb i noticed um what are, like the hedgehogs yes mm. yes right yeah. Yeah. i never would have thought in all my life in croatia <laughs> and also like um in terms of food uh i remember having a discussion with an American uh, journalist who specializes in write in travel writing. And he also um, talked a lot about how a destination matures, you know, um, in terms of like receiving um, travelers and tourists. So in the beginning, it's always like we we want to impress and we want to serve food, which we think is good enough for people who arrive to our country and then um, this means that we are basically almost ashamed of the food that we cook at home and as the destination matures we realize that it's that kind of homely cooking that's most interesting to people who come and visit us mm. and in Zagreb there are very very few places where you can eat the kind of food that your moms and bakas cooked at home and this for me is a real shame you know sometimes you will see like one bistro or two or three bistros like offering you know punjene paprike like stuffed bell peppers mm -hmm. um, but they are never the ones you know who are most popular because i remember as a child the only time when we would eat out was like for a special occasion and then you know as children we loved junk food and we always wanted to eat pizza or chavapi so, so this, this is what kind of stayed, you know, we have lots of like pizza and chavapi places, but not so much, you know, places where you can eat beans or sarma or stuffed peppers or homemade strudel. This is the stuff. Mm. So I always say like the best food in Croatia is cooked at people's homes. So you should be lucky enough to get invited into a Croatian home. Yeah, that yeah, that's where you want to have dinner. Maybe not at a yeah. fancy restaurant, but at someone's <laughs> house. Yeah, I do miss the the punjene paprike. That's one of my yeah. favorite dishes. <laughs> and you know, um, my baba used to make this, and this might be she was from the cello in Herzegovina, but um, pura. And I've never seen that at a restaurant. I mean, I know it's not like a, a fanciest dish to make, and it's just kind of you know, here let me whip something up, simple kind of breakfasty thing, but. I was wondering, have you ever seen that in any restaurants, or do you so make you that? So mean, you mean polenta, is yeah. this what you mean? Okay, so uh, from my dad's side, you know, in Dalmatia, they also call it pura. Mm. And um, uh, 
I can't remember if I, if I saw it in any restaurants, but people do make it often in their homes. So this is something that you will eat with brudet, you know, with the fish stew. Uh, um, people eat that with different kinds of goulash as well. So it's quite common at home, but it's kind of considered like a, a really, really simple and almost kind of like a poor people's grub, you know, so mm-hmm. that's what that, I've heard, it's yeah. that kind of um, complex that I was telling you about. It's like, it's too simple. It's too, it's too kind of, you know, it's not for a restaurant. So, so that's yeah, that makes it's sense. not on the menu. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, speaking of the dialect uh, difference there, I was asking someone in Zagreb about that. Um, mm-hmm. When was it? Maybe for Thanksgiving or, or they don't have Thanksgiving. They don't even have that over there. What am I saying? Mm-hmm. I might have been Easter. I forget what the occasion was, but I said, are you going to have Pura? Mm-hmm. And, he, and he, you know, my Croatian is really bad. So he's like, oh, yeah, you know, we'll have that. And, and I realized he was talking about Turkey. He thought I was yes. asking <laughs> about Turkey. I was like, oh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems like, yeah, we, we almost like speak three different languages in Croatia. The dialects are so far <laughs> apart. Like, I remember this anecdote. My mom told me the first time when she took my father to Medjimurje. He asked her basically to, you know, be a consecutive translator because he couldn't understand anything they were saying. So he was a Dalmatian <laughs> and he was brought to a Kaikavian house. You know, they were speaking this dialect that sounded more Slovenian than Croatian and he was completely lost. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And it was that different, huh? Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> um, back on the topic of cooking. Mm-hmm. So you have you came out with two Croatian cookbooks, and most yeah. recently, I believe, was the desserts one. No, the desserts one was the the first one, and the ah. classics one uh, came out last year. So that's the most recent one. I see. Okay. And how did you how did you come up with first of all the idea to actually go through? Because you know everyone wants to compile their Croatian recipes together that they know, but to actually go through with that and produce it and publish one. You know, how did that decision come about? I think this also had to do with me spending so many years away from home. And uh, baking was one of the ways for me to kind of cure my nostalgia. And um, I remember that I would always pack uh, ground poppy seed and carob whenever I was in Croatia. And I was like doing all the shopping for, for you know, packing for London. I would always get those two ingredients because I could never find that in London. Not the, the kind, you know, the type that we used in Croatian baking. And then when my friends asked me, you know, to bake something, it was always like a simple carob cake that people in Dalmatia make or something with, with ground poppy seed because it's virtually impossible to find ground poppy seed in the UK. Hmm. And so I all, I had this kind of urge to basically, you know, comfort myself with those kind of desserts, but also to show to my English friends, you know, the, you know, the stuff that we make at home. And then, you know, when I came back to Croatia, um, you know how people like to give themselves crazy challenges. It kind of started one evening when I said to my husband, let's do like this really ridiculous thing and like bake 50 desserts in one month. (laughs) (laughs) 
And then, you know, I always have these crazy ideas and he's so great because he always supports me. He never thinks that things are impossible. He always says, go for it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he also got to eat all the desserts, I'm sure. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And you wouldn't believe how slim he is. You know, he he can eat so much and he never puts any weight on. So he's a perfect, you know, tester. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And, And then, you know, I started with... You know, with my favorite things. Oh, I forgot to mention also the the kind of the anecdote of how I learned to make a strudel. So that's like a big, big, big thing in my kind of um, cultural um, heritage, I would say, because my grandma uh, from Medjimurje, she knew how to make like the perfect strudel, you know, the perfect homemade strudel dough that one that has to be like really, really thin, you know, thin enough so you can see through it. <laughs> she didn't have any holes. She could stretch it over like a large table. And uh, and then she tried to teach my mom how to do it. And, you know, my mom was there, you know, looking at my grandma and, you know, she explained. She told her everything. And, you know, when my mom tried to do, to, to replicate that, she always failed. <laughs> she failed so many times that one time she actually crumpled the entire tablecloth together with the dough and she threw that into the bin. Wow. <laughs> she, she said, I've had enough. I'm a failure. I can't do it. And, you know, as my grandma was like getting, you know, older and older, I realized, you know, but we have to keep that tradition. You know, I have to get that recipe. I have to learn how to make a strudel. So, you know, I... I spoke to my gran and, you know, she told me, you know, that the dough needs to be this thin and this soft. And, you know, she gave me all this kind of descriptive guidelines. And then I also, you know, um, read a lot about, you know, the culinary techniques and why you have to add this and why, you know, you shouldn't add, you know, too much oil and why water, you need to hydrate the dough and all this, you know. To cut the long story short, I basically used my kind of scientific head to write down the perfect strudel recipe. Mm. And I became, um, my strudel became really famous in my neighborhood. So all my friends and neighbors always came for my homemade strudel. And this was the the backbone of the desserts cookbook. So, you know, different kinds of strudel. (laughs) (laughs) And then we built on that. You know, I think the hardest part probably... I mean, that I would think maybe for you is different, but uh, trying to translate those recipes is that you don't get exact amounts. You know, it's always, oh, just a a handful of this, you know, do it until it feels right. (laughs) It's hard to put those into measurements, you know. Yeah. I remember my my grandma, she she had this kind of big enamel, uh, dark blue bowl. I still remember it. And she would just kind of pour, I don't know, a large amount of flour in there, a little bit of salt. And then she she didn't even know how much water she put. She would just be <laughs> like, she would need that dough. And she would, and I asked how much water and she would say, uh, you know, how much the flour can take. <laughs> <laughs> the most know? direct and answer then, you're going to get. <laughs> and, and what's the, the texture of the dough? And she would say, it, it mustn't be too hard nor too soft. <laughs> <laughs> And so you were dealing with that, trying to <laughs> write that into, you know, milliliters or <laughs> grams. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's but funny. But it was, it, was, it was a really, really 
pleasurable journey for me because I started discovering like micro local desserts and cakes and biscuits and you know uh, I traveled because I worked with different tourist boards in Croatia I um, wrote a lot about you know different destinations in Croatia and then I interviewed women there and asked you know about the recipes and I collected a huge list of ideas you know all the kind of desserts that would re that would represent you know, Croatian cuisine and um, you know even though like you know they would give me their recipe but it was sometimes they were like really sketchy and I had to kind of try and like three or four times to to bake a dessert in my kitchen until I got the recipe just right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I want to paint a scenario for you, and I want you to tell me. <laughs> I want you to tell me which recipe that you would cook. You know, say some tourists from it doesn't matter any part anywhere else other than Croatia. Mm -hmm. You know, they say they tell you, they say, Andrea, I'm going to come over to your house. We're flying to Croatia. We can only stay a night. We're just going to go to your house and eat a meal and leave. You know, we want to mm -hmm. experience a traditional something traditional. You know, what would you make? Um, what would I make? So. <clears throat> I know, I'm putting you on the spot here. <laughs> yeah, you are. So I would definitely make. This is something, okay, so I'm telling you a secret. This is something that's coming out in my third cookbook. So Ooh. as a starter, I would make Vishka Pogacha. So it's basically basically a flat bread from Vis, which is filled with anchovies. Wow. And it's absolutely yummy. So that would be a starter. Uh, um, I'm a huge pescatarian. I absolutely love seafood. So for the main course, I would make something with fish and I really really love brudet so that would mm -hmm. be like you know the different types of uh, f white fish like um, cod or um, red mullet um, I would put a, a few prawns in there maybe uh, an Adriatic squid or something so it would be a, a really really big fish pot with pura <laughs> <laughs> oh there we go <laughs> yeah <laughs> just for me and, and um, you know for the dessert I would definitely make a strudel because mm -hmm. I think creation especially like sour cherry strudel is absolutely amazing wow yeah I'm getting hungry right now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> might have to end this right now and go get something to eat <laughs> before I get too hungry I want to ask one more question about um, food and specifically what to you or you know in general you think is the importance of food within the Croatian culture? Well, we are very, very proud of our, of the high quality of all the ingredients that we have in Croatia. Mm. And um, there is a very, very um, short journey that our ingredients have to uh, travel from, you know, the, you know, farm to table concept. So lots of people grow their own vegetables. Um, even if you have like a tiny backyard, people will have a garden. This is really nice. And um, some, uh, sometimes like people have friends who are fishermen, like especially like with freshwater fish, um, like there is a type of fish that it's almost impossible to buy in a shop. 
and then you have a friend who have a friend you know who is a fisherman <laughs> then that's that's how you procure your fish you it's, have to be connected it, yeah you have to be connected and it's the same thing with mushrooms like lots of people uh, go mushroom hunting um, you have to have a special license now and I actually welcome that you know because it's kind of regulated now how how much mushrooms you can pick in the forest and oh, you really? have to be educated to recognize edible mushrooms but it's also this kind of freshness you know the our ingredients grow gr very close to where we live mm -hmm. and it's also a variety of our climate you know we have almost three different climates in Croatia there is you know the Mediterranean climate the continental climate and the kind of um, let's say mountain climate in the middle so we have such diversity of food um, you know and this is only like talking about one aspect and this is the ingredients the second one is you know that we always like to eat um, we like to enjoy the food is our enjoyment you know first first and foremost it's not like that we eat to live we live to eat <laughs> yes. and so we we don't mind taking our time to cook so so many families still cook on a daily basis and we also like to eat slow so like on the weekend families always you know eat together lunch can last for two or three hours you know people then you know lunch ends but you know coffee begins in the afternoon um it kind of slows you down and it you know it's the, the like it also like what's the most important room in the in the house it's the kitchen people always get gather around the kitchen table it's hmm. the liveliest you know part of the house it's the heart of the family and you know food is is that thing that kind of brings us together yeah i mean that's all in my family that's always been a huge aspect too of life is you know cooking a homemade meal and then sitting down and eating together as a family and i've really yeah. appreciated that as a you know growing up as a kid and then even now being able to have the whole family together and eating talking about the day and whatnot you know things like that and i think that's yeah i think that's a very important part yeah and this is what the people who you know if I invite uh, my foreign friends to my home, you know, and when I cook, I basically share not only the recipes and not only that food that I served at the table, but, you know, they also get to experience, you know, our culture of eating and mm -hmm. they, they're completely like impressed. You know, this, this is what at the end of the dinner, they say, I want to move to Croatia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as soon as you try the food, that, that's all you need yeah. to want to go over there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Andrea, I wanted to ask you, um, as we're getting towards the end here, uh, I'm sure, are, is your, your first two cookbooks, are they available worldwide for shipping? Yes. Yes, we basically, um, we have our own warehouse in Croatia. So it's also... Um, something that I'm proud of. So it's made in Croatia. It's something that, you know, we are a family based business and, you know, we, we do everything ourselves. We have a few people who we work with, like um, um, designers and printers. And but basically uh, we package and ship uh, books ourselves and we work with the DHL now that you know they ship express worldwide 
and it's really really amazing how quickly the you know the books arrive to their destination so like to the states you know it's like three to five business days and the book is there and that's really amazing so there are no limits so we basically ship worldwide mm -hmm. and it's very much as you said a local production yes um, yeah and i wanted to ask i asked someone this the other day on the podcast a similar question but have you has there been have you had orders from any countries that you were surprised like oh wow you know there's a croatian or someone interested in croatian food in this country so let me uh, answer with another question are you surprised when you realize where in the world you can find Croatians living? <laughs> <laughs> At this point, no. <laughs> Since I've been asking this question, no. <laughs> so wherever, wherever there are Croatians living, we had orders from those places. So it's like, you know, every single um, English-speaking country, like from Canada, the States, New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, uh, also some orders to Latin America, like... Patagonia, you know, mm. um, I was, you know, I was really, really amazed when, uh, when the books traveled to, to Tasmania, because that's the kind of, wow, that sounds to me like very exotic because it's so far away. But let me tell you something else right <laughs> now, Croatian desserts is on Antarctica. <laughs> no way. <laughs> really? Yes. How does that happen? Yes. Well, I will send you photos. I have a um, a photo of the cookbook with penguins in the background. <laughs> oh yeah, please send that. <laughs> so it happened because like I posted on Facebook, I said, my cookbook has traveled widely than me. I wish I was my cookbook <laughs> and it's on every continent in the world apart from Antarctica. And then uh, a woman of Croatian roots who is based in Chile, she uh, replied to me and she said, oh, I work, I organize scientist expeditions to Antarctica. I can make it happen. I will send you a book there. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's so cool. Yes. <laughs> so the, the book is in, uh, on Antarctica via a Croatian connection. <laughs> <laughs> so you can get it to any continent if you have to. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> wow. That's really cool. Well, Andrea, you know, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the podcast today and talk to us about, you know, your contributions to, you know, promoting Zagreb and Croatian culture and your blog, Croatia Honestly, check that out, and your video vlogs as well on YouTube, um, and you know, of course your cookbooks, and I'm looking forward to the third one coming out. Do you have a, a date? Um, well, I hope it will be by the end of this year, but... Um... Still not 100% sure. <laughs> mm -hmm. But we'll get the first two, and by the time you've gone through yeah. those, <laughs> the third one will be out. Yeah. <laughs> All right, but um, yeah, thank you again so much, Andrea. You know, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on here. Uh, well, thank you for inviting me again, and uh, I'm sending you greetings from Croatia to wherever you are in the world, <laughs> <laughs> everyone, and uh, congratulations on starting the podcast. That's it for today's episode of the All Things Croatia podcast. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you all enjoyed it. You can subscribe to the Patreon and check out the All Things Croatia Instagram page to stay updated. Feel free to reach out to me with any questions, tips, or ideas, and make sure to tune back in to the next episode. Thanks again, and vidimo se!